Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. Throughout these QMS International podcasts, what we've been trying to do is to introduce you to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new practices from all around the world and examining how those innovations could be applied here on farms in Scotland. In this edition, we're going to concentrate on sheep and the practices that have made the New Zealanders world leaders in sheep production. Sharon McIntyre is Genetics Technical Manager for a company called Sheep Improvement Limited, which is a performance recording service and the largest genetic database for sheep in New Zealand. It's actually the only genetic database for sheep in New Zealand. Over the last two decades, it's revolutionised sheep production in the country. First off, welcome to you, Sharon. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Just explain to me about Sheep Improvement Limited. What is it? How does it work? Sheep Improvement is our national genetic evaluation. So the breeders that record on it interact with the Bureau, who are the ones who load their data up into the system and assist the breeders with reports. We're funded mostly from sheep and beef levies or sheep levies only. And, um, you know, we keep the genetic engine running and we do develop all the new tools. So, you know, genomics and single step is is a big thing that we achieved in the last few years. We have a really close relationship with research, too. And we're a main vehicle for implementing, you know, new research into the sheep breeding enterprises. How does genetic evaluation work? There's three things that we need. Well, two things, performance measures. So that's all the measurements that are taken on farm. And we need to be able to correct for non-genetic effects. So that's all the things that can affect that performance. So things like date of birth, um, age of dam, different feeding mobs, all those sorts of things. And I always think performance equals genetics plus environment. So if we have the performance and we have the environment, we can calculate what proportion of that performance is genetic. And the accuracy of doing both sides of that is is really key in getting good predictions of genetic merit on on animals. I know absolutely nothing about uh, animal genomics and not considerably more on human genomics. But I remember the excitement when, you know, the human genome was fully mapped, you know, which took forever and was hugely expensive at the time. And now you can more or less do it for three and threepence. Is it the same with animals? Yeah, it's really brilliant with animals. We went through an earlier stage called um, two-step where we tried to integrate genomic information and and pedigree information. But we've moved on now, as have most advanced evaluations, to what we call single step. And when you think about it, you know, most of us have brothers and sisters, and and we say that we have 25% of our genes in common with our brothers and sisters. But what we know from genomics is that we can inherit different proportions from our parents, and it can vary from 15% to 37% in common between between full brothers and sisters. And so being able to tease apart those relationships means we can more accurately predict the merit for an animal, particularly for traits that aren't measured till later in life. So, you know, for a ram, we're saying what his genetic merit for reproduction is, whereas now we can see whether he got more or less genetic input from relatives that were high for a trait or low. So when we do that mid-parent mean on a young, unproven animal, we can do it a lot more accurately. So it means that breeders can make 
better decisions and make faster gains. How do you pick the animals that you do this genomic testing on? Presumably you don't genomically test every animal in New Zealand. <laughs> no, some of our flocks do full genomic testing on their whole flock, but, but most of them are doing it on their potential RAM candidates. So they might have 25 or 30 animals that potentially could be new stud sires, and they get the genomics done on those. And it gives us information on, on the, those later recorded traits like reproduction or we're working away on meat eating quality. And so, you know, that's, um, that's going to be largely predicted through genomics and some of the other more advanced traits like we're working on methane output now and so a proportion of animals get tested and then we can use genomics to to make that accuracy wider over a larger number of animals so genomics is is a key it also is parent verification sometimes we think and we know who an animal's dam and sire is but occasionally they've tricked us and we have it wrong so it does make breeding more accurate you know that old expression, man proposes, God disposes. I mean, I mean yes, it's, it's, it's a, this is fabulous. You've got all this information, etc. Does it always work out the way you think it's going to work out? Probably the lesson for me, having done quite a bit of DNA sampling, is I think the DNA is actually very accurate. The inaccuracies is when you're under pressure and you've got a thousand lambs going through the chute and you're trying to keep track of IDs and DNA samples. So uh, DNA is not foolproof, but it's mostly sample error that that is the issue rather than the actual dna but um as it's an expensive thing to do most people slow down take the time and and do get it right 99 percent of the time and what does this kind of performance recording you know this kind of almost molecular level offer new zealand farmers we're really only starting on this journey. So for probably 80% of our, our flocks, it's still very much, you know, performance recording and recording pedigree. It's really maybe 20% of our flocks are, are using genomics in a, in a bigger way these days. So normal, normal breeding practices is still probably the norm. Is it too early then to see how this might potentially link to profitability long term? Oh, we, we know that it increases the accuracies of prediction for the for the animals that are measured and it can also spread that accuracy across near relatives. So when you've got more accurate measures, you, you can make better selection decisions and it does drive genetic gain faster. So we, we do know that we should have a significant increase in genetic gain, but, but there are some expensive and hard to record traits like meat eating quality where you actually have to kill the animal to get the records but genomics means we can take that information and spread it over near relatives because you obviously can't breed from a dead animal so genomics is really important for those sorts of traits but the the core things that the breeders are measuring for which is you know reproduction survival and growth you can measure them easily on farm if you're running a thousand lambs through a race are you testing all of them um for some flocks they are testing all of them but it, it's still a minority of of flocks that are doing that at this stage and, and what the, the tests that you are doing how long do they take to do what, what are the costs of those tests for us the cost is around 25 dollars and you get a oh, about five hundred thousand snips for that explain that five hundred thousand snips what does that mean well if you think five hundred thousand 
small pieces of information. Some of it's used for breed, some of it's used for performance, some of it's used for pedigree. Um, some of it will be used for meat eating quality when we have that calibrated. How long does it take before farmers can actually, obviously they're not scientists, how long does it take before they can actually read this information before it becomes useful to them? Well, no, that's the really wonderful thing. They don't actually have to read it. It goes into, it goes direct into our, into our database and it gets used in the evaluation. And when the farmers get their results, the results look the same as they always have. But we just have a wee symbol that shows that the, that the value has been genomically enhanced. In New Zealand, what are the most important breeding values? I think for both um, for our, our maternal breeds, reproduction, survival, and growth have been the key key traits. For our terminal sires, it's been survival, growth, and and meat. But as our performance levels have got a lot higher, the breeders that are sort of really on top of those traits are getting to the point where they don't want any more reproduction because that results in too many triplets and and they've got very good growth and so what we've noticed in recent years is those breeders that are really up there in terms of performance are now casting their net wider and they're starting to look more at what we call the welfare traits so things like body condition score so use it you know maintain a degree of of muscle and fat and adversity that can be drought or it could be cold conditions parasite resistance there's been quite an increase in the number of breeders breeding for that and we also have a a disease here um, facial eczema which is a fungal toxin and that causes quite severe liver damage and can even kill the animals it's a fungus that lives in grasses all over the world but we seem to have a particularly nasty one that produces a toxin but fortunately tolerance of the toxin is quite heritable so we're seeing people do a lot more breeding for those sorts of things body condition score disease resistance um, short tails and bear points those sorts of things so make the sheep easy care our farms tend to be large with not very many labour units. So having productive sheep that don't require a lot of intervention has always been very important to us. I mean, those, those values that you mentioned, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the crude ones, you know, reproduction, survival and growth, are, are those more or less universal globally or do you get regional variations? The thing with genetics to me has always been it's about the right size genetics for your environment. So we have some parts of New Zealand which are quite dry and so they like a more moderate lambing percentage because they need to get those lambs away before the heat of summer really kicks in. And that's hard to do if you have lots of triplets or, or, or more. Whereas we have the other parts of New Zealand which are very summer safe with rainfall and they often are smaller farms. And those farms are more than happy to have a much higher lambing percentage because they've got the ability to look after them and feed them. So, you know, we, we're quite... A, being an island nation we're quite varied and so it's about having the right size genetics for your production system rather than always having to have the highest value of everything does that make sense no it makes perfect sense to me perfect sense to me a few years ago i don't know if it still holds true but you know most rural doctors in scotland um were btn you know they're either been to nepal or been to new zealand you know one of those two and i, and I know it's a two-way street so j- just out of curiosity have you ever seen the scottish livestock system personally yes yes i was over there 
um, a couple of years ago and I was quite fascinated. There was a with a, a sheep conference and so I they, we had a couple of farm visits and, and I saw the Scottish black-faced sheep and, and the textiles, which look very different to our textiles. So it was really, really enjoyable to see a different system and they were also muscle scanning the sheep, which we do as well. So very, you know, very similar. So the kind of performance recording that you're doing in New Zealand at the moment, how applicable would that be in Scotland? Oh, very applicable because um, there's some things you can see when you look at an animal, you know, you're looking often at a two-year-old animal, but it's about what his progeny are going to do at six or eight months. So some animals are a bit later maturing. So you might see, you know, muscling and, you know, some structure things, but there's a lot of things you can't see, things like reproduction. You can't see milking ability so we, we have a weaning weight maternal which is the contribution the ewe makes through her milk to her lamb's growth we have survival and we have quite a sophisticated survival module in our evaluation and with the power of numbers and the computer we've actually made quite significant progress in survival and dead lambs is something that all farmers really hate it, you know it's quite distressing as well as it as an efficient and there's also a maternal component to survival. So things that the ewe does that increases her lambing, her lamb survival. Things like separating from the from the mob, choosing a sheltered posse, having a good bond with her lamb. And these are all the things that we can select for improved survival, which you can't assess by just looking at an animal. So the power of the computer and numbers really does add a lot of value to progressing some of those traits. Again, just to clarify this, the, you know, the introduction of performance recording in New Zealand has led to fewer dead lambs. Yeah, so since 1995, which is our zero year, we've had a 15% increase overall in number of lambs born per ewe. So for every 100 ewes, that's an extra 15 lambs, which means we're getting more multiples, more triplets. But at the same time as we've increased multiples, We've had a 3% increase in survival, even though more of them are born as triplets. So um, it's quite a powerful message, actually. This focus on genetics, how does it change, or does it change management practices? Does it change how people keep their sheep, how they run their sheep, how big the mobs are, that kind of thing? Yeah, for the breeding stock, they're handled very regularly, obviously, to record the performance data. But our, our commercial flocks vary hugely. You know, we've got everything from very large, extensive hill country properties running 10, 15,000 ewes through to 500-acre farms running, you know, 2,000 ewes. I think the thing is that our country is quite varied. And so we, we see a lot of distinction on what are the right genetics for where you are. So if you're in summer moist, you might have a greater disease challenge. And so you may be selecting for parasite resistance or facial eczema resistance. If you're dry, you're selecting for the right size reproduction for your property. And if you're in a, in a harsh environment, then things like body condition score use that can cope with a bit of adversity by, you know, having a bit of fat on their back. So I, I think we have a very sophisticated system. There's about 20 traits that our breeders can choose to record. They normally record the core ones um, and then a few extras that are pertinent to their environment. But, but it means that there's also tremendous flexibility for our commercial farmers to choose the right genetics for their system. And this performance recording service, 
Does it just apply to sheep in New Zealand or do you apply it to, you know, cattle? Yeah, the cat, we have a cattle system. We actually are in a joint system with the Australians. So the Australians run the um, genetic evaluation for the, for the New Zealand beef breeds, whereas we run the, the sheep one, but we have a type of sheep merino. You're probably familiar with them. We don't have many merinos in New Zealand, and so our merino breeders actually record on the Australian merino evaluation, which has a greater data set than, than we would be able to run. Okay, so basically just sheep and cattle, that's it. Oh, and deer. There's a deer genetic evaluation, which I run two days a week. And you forgot about that. <laughs> well, well, yeah, we were talking sheep and beef, so yes, so we have a we have a deer genetic evaluation as well. And the improvements that you've seen in sheep since you know year, year zero, nineteen ninety five, have you seen similar improvements in cattle and deer? Yes, yes, the deer probably a, a wee bit have come later. So most genetic gain has been since two thousand and five, and they have made rapid progress in the more straightforward traits like growth and, and meat and earlier conception is another key key date for deer. They're very day length qualified. But in our beef, growth, meat, yield, cow size, all those things are included in the genetic evaluation and breeders breeders get a graph showing, you know, their genetic gain that they can show to commercial farmers because as a commercial farmer, you buy your genetics this year you might use that same ram or bull for four years. So in four years' time, he has some daughters born. Another two years before they become mothers, and they may stay in your flock or herd for another three or four years. So the decisions you make when you buy a ram or a bull impact your performance for about 10 years. So that can be 10 years of you know, more of what you've already got, or it can be 10 years of improved performance. And basically, you can spend the same money to stand still or go ahead, really. There's bound to be an upper limit for how much improvement is possible. At that stage, what you're then doing, it's, it's almost like fine-tuning an engine. It's keeping it, it's keeping it at an optimal level. It's a really, really good point. We actually have some flocks that probably overshot the mark on reproduction. And so we now have no an, an, a no reward for over a certain level of reproduction. But what we're seeing is some of those very high performance flocks are pulling back on reproduction or, or they are bringing in new traits. So things like hoggets, well, we call them hoggets, which are yearling, yearling sheep, their reproductive performance or bringing in more of these health and welfare traits. So they've achieved what they need to achieve and growth and reproduction so now they're looking wider at welfare issues body condition score you know tails short tails so they don't have to be docked um, parasite and disease resistance so it's really good to see them you know we don't want to overshoot the mark on on performance what's in the i mean again i doubt if you have a crystal ball but what's in the future for genetic evaluation I mean, what, are, what are scientists working on at the moment that isn't actually common practice yep so well we've just had a rollout of methane for sheep so there's been some lines of sheep bred at ag research which is our crown research facility and they've been selecting high and low methane animals and they now have a 11 percent difference in methane per kilogram of 
dry matter, grass eaten between the high and low lines. And so these last two years, they have built a mobile pack chamber, which is you put an animal in sort of a, a, a clear box and we sample the, the gas emissions that they, they put out over an hour period. And then we can use genomics to spread that over a greater number of animals. So that's that's our big new thing is methane production, being able to breed for lower methane emitting sheep, because that's a you know greenhouse gas target for our, our country. The other thing is the meat eating quality. So we know if you if you select hard for lean growth, you can actually get a reduction in meat eating quality. And you know, we want our consumers to have a good experience. But at the moment, you know, getting those meat eating quality measurements require the slaughter of the animal. We need to do the eye muscle, the marbling of the eye muscle and the tenderness and the pH. And we have to do that on slaughtered animals. So that is our other main research stage at this stage that we can take those measurements, use genomics to take that information and then spread it over their relatives so that we can get an estimate of meat eating quality in live animals. This question sounds a bit heartless, but you know, once you've done all that, you've looked at the eye muscle and the marbling and the pH and everything else, does somebody actually taste it? Yes, yes, there are tasting panels. Um, so to calibrate how much marbling on, on the eye muscle was desired, there was a lot of taste testing done on that. Um, pH tends to make the meat a bit dark and unappealing as well as um, can be a little bit tougher. And tenderness is obviously very important. Um, most people pick up on tenderness. So yeah, it, it is calibrated with, with people. We've just gone past what would have been the Royal Highland Show here in Scotland, you know, which is the biggest farming event in Scotland, you know, and it's, it's all about show, it's all about appearance. How important is that in New Zealand nowadays? I think it's really important that that animals are structurally sound and fit for purpose. But I think our breeders have moved away from um, being particularly focused on breeds having to be completely pure. If there's a trait from another breed that would add value, they're, they're not adverse to adding that in. So the whole show circuit in New Zealand, it still exists, but it, it, is, not a, it is not a main driver of performance. Um, and, and is probably a much smaller part of our business than it, than it is for you. Yeah, I, I'm just, again, I'm curious, and this is maybe a mischievous question. If, if you have, you might divide them as performance farmers and show farmers in New Zealand, do the performance farmers think the show farmers aren't really taking this seriously? Oh, no. In, increasingly, we're seeing some of the shows having classes where the animals have both, both you know, structurally sound and breed sound, but they also um, put up the put up the sole performance figures as well. So you you have to be good at both. Um, so we, we are seeing a bit of change in that area, but the show circuit is it, it, it's a showcase for the industry, but it's it's not a main driver for us. What you were talking about earlier, the the low methane sheep. If if you have low methane sheep, is is that now being communicated to the consumer you know these these sheep are actually better for the for the environment 
we're not quite at that stage, but the government is requiring all New Zealand farmers to know their greenhouse gas number by 2025. And then there will be a requirement for us to reduce our greenhouse gas number. So currently there aren't very many tools to do that. So there's some seaweed additives being looked at, but you have to dose your animals very regularly. And on our extensive pasture-based system, that's not going to work. The other thing is to decrease your stocking rate and, and grow trees, but that doesn't do a lot for your income. So one of the one of the few mechanisms we have is to select sheep with a lower methane output per kilogram of grass eaten. So we're hoping that if we can get this spread, we can use technologies to increase the number of these sheep that our farmers may be able to use that to prove that they are reducing their greenhouse gas output. Yeah, glad to hear it. Sharon, I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thank you. And that was the final broadcast in our international series. I hope you've enjoyed them and that you found them useful. When we come back with another series, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the Monitor Farm Legacy Project. Until then, I'm Mark Stephen. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Call to Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. <laughs>